Get Back to Basics with Judaism 101 with Rabbi Michael Katz. And a very warm welcome to Judaism 101.9. Great to be with you again this afternoon. Wonderful to be in your company. It has just gone 12 minutes past the hour and great to be here and sharing some thoughts with you on this special middle of the week afternoon. You know, um, there is a concept in Judaism that um, there is a great time of building up to something. And then, of course, there is kind of the shadow that the great event casts on us in the time that follows thereafter. We certainly have this concept when it comes to the Chagim, to the festivals, um, that in the build-up to a festival, of course, we're getting ready for it, we're preparing, we're learning everything that there is to know about it, and then when the festival arrives and um, we celebrate it, it then leaves, and it leaves a footprint, it leaves a shadow, it leaves um, some kind of a, a remnant that we're supposed to enjoy, participate in, and it certainly has to have and does have some kind of a lasting influence on our lives. And I think that if we think about this last Shabbat, which was, of course, the Shabbos project, and um, we did a few sessions on Shabbos, on Shabbat, in the build-up to the Shabbos project, in the build-up to last week, I think that we can uh, be... Um, forgiven for continuing in the theme of Shabbos, even though the Shabbos project, Shabbos has passed, um, there certainly is the idea of the lasting impression, the kind of Isru Chag, the after effect, the footprint that that Shabbos project, that that Shabbos has left on us. And hopefully it will mean that every Shabbos from here on in will be affected, will be changed, will be uplifted, will be a little bit more observed than it was before. A, by those who don't, um, as a matter of course, uh, think that they're observing Shabbos, and then, of course, those who do, to try and learn about, think about ways of perhaps lifting our game a little bit, improving, and doing things in a slightly better and more fulfilling way when it comes to Shabbos. We spent last week talking quite a lot about the build-up to Shabbos and um, the actual practical build-up to Shabbos, the lighting of candles, the preparation of the home, what we do and don't do on a Friday afternoon in order to to prepare correctly. Then, of course, Shabbat arrives, Shabbos arrives, and there are certain things that we need to do in order to make Shabbos proper and to make it befitting and correct and right in order to keep Shabbos correctly. And um, perhaps we'll deal with some of those, particularly what happens on a Friday night um, on this session of Judaism 101.9. Well, the people have now um, lit candles, Shabbos home is ready, and <coughs> hopefully we go to shul. And at Shul, of course, um, once Mincha has been davened, has been prayed, we begin a part of the service of the prayers that is called Kabbalat Shabbat, the acceptance of Shabbat. Now, yes, it was kind of popularized last week in the advertising for having some kind of a go out to uh, receive Shabbos, um, having a concert, having some kind of an event to uh, bring Shabbos in. Um, in a, a manner of speaking, there is a definite idea of Kabbalah Shabbat, of bringing Shabbos in, that is formulated in our Siddur, in our prayer book, on a regular 
Friday night that it contains a number of psalms that are said. And uh, they begin, as you will know from your shul service with Lechun Aranana and so on. Those psalms are kind of laying the pathway for Shabbos to come in. We are lauding, heralding the arrival of Shabbos, lauding, heralding the arrival of the Shabbat Queen. And then, of course, it culminates with the beautiful song called Lechadodi. Lechadodi, which is well-known, popularized by Chazanim and choirs and... Um, all kind of uh, beautiful songs around the world for the Lachadodi prayer, which really is mirroring. It is kind of a, um, a, a similar idea to a bride and groom arriving at the chuppah. And in fact, there has become some kind of an unwritten tradition in many, many realms, in many places. And it's probably for this reason that many of the Friday night Shabbat songs are actually adopted now and sung at a chuppah. You can sometimes be forgiven for going to a chuppah today and thinking that perhaps you're at a Kabbalat Shabbat service. You're um, hearing a Lachadodi. You're hearing um, Eshet Chayil. You're hearing many of the songs and many of the themes of the Friday night meal. And yes, the Friday night meal has that similarity. Now, it's not only the idea of lauding, of praising marriage per se, but it's really thinking about the concept, the idea of... The culmination of the marriage between God and the Jewish people. And really, the type of uh, wedding ring that is involved here, the canopy for this special, special event, is Shabbat itself. Shabbos is the occasion of the marriage between God and the Jewish people, or perhaps even between God between the Jewish people, rather, and Shabbat. Um, and, in fact, there are many, many different themes that are brought in various parts of Jewish law and Jewish philosophy and tradition of the idea of um, the coming together of the Jewish people with Shabbat and the coming together of the Jewish people with the Almighty, with God himself. Um, the analogy for it, the metaphor for it, is the concept of a couple marrying each other, of this marriage process of this marriage procedure. And then Lachadodi is actually come my beloved. Lachadodi Likrat Kala we talk about. Come my friend to meet the bride. We're talking about the bride arriving and that bride who is arriving in this instance of course is Shabbat. And many people have the tradition in shuls all over the world, that when we come to the end of that um, Lachadodi prayer, we say Boi Kala, we actually turn around and it's always Today, the idea of turning around and facing the back of the shul, but really the idea of facing the back of the shul was the idea of the fact that there were doors at the back of the shul. That is the way that people would come in. And it's really the um, notion of turning around to face the bride, to welcome the bride, to welcome Shabbat into our midst, to welcome Shabbat into our shul. And that is then called Kabbalah Shabbat. And it's formulated with Mizmor Shir Leyoma Shabbat. We sing a song Immediately after the Lechadodi, after all those songs, after that welcome, Mizmor Shir Yoma Shabbat. And at that moment, we have accepted, we have received Shabbat into our midst, and Shabbat has really begun in earnest. Now, the leaders of stature, Dayan Kurtzdag, Dayan Sushad, and Dayan Rappaport, whose combined 100 years of service is being honored at the Hachnasat Sefer Torah, or Sifrei Torah Parade, that is going to be taking place this Sunday. That's the 24th of November at 4.45 p.m. The parade will leave from 37 Corbel Crescent in Glen Hazel and go up to Yeshiva College. And, of course, all are welcome.
Get back to basics with Judaism 101 with Rabbi Michael Katz. In honor of the three Dayanim who have devoted a staggering 105 years of service between them as leaders of the Beth Din, three Sifrei Torah have been dedicated by the UOS in honor of these three retired Dayanim and will be loaned on a temporary basis to any shul. The three Sifrei Torah will be unveiled at a Hachnasat Sefer Torah, Sifrei Torah, a, a, an, org, a, an event to bring in the Sifrei Torah, a ceremony that will be taking place this Sunday at 4.45 p.m. Don't miss out. To get back to our topic about Shabbos and about Friday night, we spoke about Kabbalah Shabbat. At the moment that you have done Kabbalah Shabbat, at the moment that you have completed the Lachadudi and those introductory psalms that are said um, on a Friday night in Shul, and the moment you have said Mizmor Shir, Shabbat, the song that is sung for Shabbat. In other words, before you have begun davening Mayriv, the actual evening service, Shabbat has been brought in, even if the time was a little bit earlier, perhaps, than actual Shabbat. So Kabbalat Shabbat deems the time of when Shabbat actually happens in a community. Now, for a long period of time here in um, uh, this country, in South Africa, and particularly in Johannesburg, one of the things that has provided a little bit of confusion to people, but um, there is a very logical explanation for it, is the fact that during the summer months, um, there was always the tradition in Johannesburg and in many other places in the world that um, Kabbalat Shabbat is set at a standard time for and candlelighting therefore is set at a standard time throughout like the summer months if you think about it from now basically until i guess sometime february march 6:15 is going to be the candlelighting time that you'll see on any calendar any calendar it says 6:15 and you'll notice that of course at 6:15 it's still light outside and it doesn't actually get dark if you're going to look on your um, uh, cell phone and you're looking for uh, the time for sunset, you'll see that it's quite a lot later and that in fact you then have the question as to why is Shabbat coming in so early. Well, the reason actually is because the majority of shuls are davening or doing Kabbalat Shabbat at approximately 6.15 or maybe just shortly thereafter, maybe about 6.30. And therefore, standardized time of 6.15 for candle lighting is to prevent people, or perhaps their family members or their particular community, has accepted Shabbat in. They brought it in with Kabbalat Shabbat. And uh, you can't then be lighting candles after that. Um, Shabbat has been accepted upon the community, by the community, and therefore those times need to be adhered to. One should um, consult with your particular rabbi if your shul has a different custom, it's bringing in Shabbat a little bit later, or if perhaps you're traveling outside of um, Johannesburg, uh, which a lot of people, of course, do during the... (coughs) During the summer months, people travel, go on holiday, and so on. One should be careful to make sure that um, you are not inadvertently 
breaking Shabbat within that community because everybody has already brought in Shabbat and you're toddling off to the store or you're driving in your car or handling money or doing anything else that you perhaps shouldn't be doing at that time. So there are two things. There's the idea of the actual time of when Shabbat comes in, but then there is uh, the ability that people have to bring in Shabbat earlier. Women can do it by lighting candles a little bit earlier, and uh, the community can do it by bringing in Shabbat with Kabbalah Shabbat, accepting Shabbat upon the community a little bit earlier. This can't be stretched too far. It can't kind of be done on Friday morning so that you have a really, really long Friday Shabbat. Um, but, of course, this has to be done in consultation with your rabbi, with your community, and so on, to make sure that you're not infringing on either side, either bringing in Shabbat too early or perhaps making the mistake of uh, breaking Shabbat when the rest of the community has already accepted it upon themselves. So once Kabbalat Shabbat has happened, Shabbat comes in, we do the Friday night service. And then the next part that really needs to be thought about is what happens thereafter. How do we actually celebrate the Shabbat? And one of the things that we've really got to do and we've got to really kind of get right in our heads is the idea of the fact that um, Shabbat is this precious royalty, this special queen, this special bride that is being welcomed. And there are certain behaviors, but moreover, the, more than that, actually, a mindset of how we are really doing everything to show that Shabbat is precious to us. A, that it's different from every other day of the week. B, that there is a complete transformation within ourselves and within our thinking in how we actually approach the meal, the environment, the atmosphere in the home, etc. Everything has to be geared towards the welcoming of this very, very special royal guest and the things that would not be done in front of a real king or queen, um, real royalty should not be done, of course, in the Shabbat environment. The things that would be unbecoming of behavior when there is royalty, not um, uh, any royalty, but the king of kings, actually, God himself or the Shabbat itself, the queen, um, we need to make sure that our behaviors are correct, that our attitudes are correct, and that we impart the right kind of an atmosphere to our children, um, to the young people um, around us who are undoubtedly going to imitate and emulate our examples. So when we come home, the first thing that should happen, of course, is the mitzvah of being Mekadesh the Shabbat, of really sanctifying Shabbat. There is a positive commandment. It is a positive mitzvah. To sanctify the Shabbat. It is done with Kiddush. We should not come home and lounge around for a while. We should not come home and read a book. We should not come home, put our feet up, um, or have as many people think that uh, we could do or we should do because it's kind of uh, the usual normal behavior of people at a party to first serve drinks and hang around and have a little bit of a, a cocktail party before you actually get going with the Friday night meal. That is completely and absolutely inappropriate. It is not correct in our behavior towards Shabbat. The first thing is Kiddush. We come home. We should get everybody around the table as quickly as possible and make Kiddush. Sanctify the uh, Shabbat. Now, you may argue, and there are some who use this argument, that um, Kiddush is said in shul. So I heard Kiddush already, and uh, perhaps in the service, some have a small Kiddush afterwards or has become 
popular that uh, there is a Friday night bracha, a Friday night kiddush that takes place at shul. Uh, but what about those who haven't? And what about those who haven't actually fulfilled the mitzvah of uh, Kiddush? In other words, of having a meal, uh, being uh, an active participant in the Kiddush at the shul and so on. We need to make sure that the first thing we do when we come home is the recitation, the saying of Kiddush. This is done over a cup of wine, or if you can't take wine, of grape juice. And, um, of course, traditionally done by one person having a number of others in mind, in other words, other participants who stand around the rest of the people at the table or one's own family and so on, depending on your actual custom. And actually, there are many opinions that this is something that um, should be done rather than each and every person saying their own kiddush by themselves because um, we have the idea of when there are a lot of people who participate together this in itself is an accolade, is a, a real tribute to the king, a real tribute to the royalty, to the queen of the Shabbat that we are welcoming. So therefore, we try and do this in a group. We try and do it as perhaps the uh, person who is running the show, the uh, let's call him the master of the house, as is most often referred to in the uh, good old traditional sidurim and so on, that he says the Kiddush and everybody else um, is fulfilled and their obligation through the blessing that he makes. The Kiddush is said over a full cup of wine. A lot of people feel that, uh, you know, they don't want it to spill or uh, if you don't want to drink that much. The cup should be filled to the brim. You should actually be drinking off the top part of the wine. We should drink from the cup immediately. It should not be poured off and distributed before you have drunk from the cup. So you make the Kiddush, as you will see laid out in your Siddur. Um, there are many people who stand for Kiddush. There are some who sit for Kiddush. We're not going to be prescriptive on that. But one should have in mind the royalty with which it is done or the actual feeling of royalty with which it is, is done. One should um, stand. One should uh, really honor it and respect it. The cup is held up. The cup is not um, placed on the table. You don't just hold it down on the table. It is actually cupped in the hand. Um, one should actually balance it in the palm of your hand with your fingers pointed upwards and hold the cup up, whether it has a stem or not. The cup should be filled. There are many who would say that the cup should actually overflow, that the blessings should be overflowing that you're making. And it's over this cup of wine that we are actually sanctifying the Shabbat and fulfilling the mitzvah of that sanctification of making Shabbat holy. And so therefore, as we lift it up, and we say the Kiddush, the people around should also answer, of course, the Amains to the various brachot, to the blessings that are made. And then the person who has made Kiddush should drink. And now, once again, the amount that is drunk is not just a sip off the top. Once you have made Kiddush, you need to drink what we call Rov Kos. You should use a cup that contains at least 90 um, to 100 milliliters of liquid, um, and, uh, over 90 mils of uh, liquid, of wine, and it doesn't have to be a sweet wine. It needs to be a wine that you find palatable, that you can drink, that you enjoy, perhaps even the best wine that you could get because you're honoring Shabbat with it. And therefore, um, it should be something that is good, that is delicious, that is lovely. You drink that wine, and the person making Kiddush should drink off 
at least half of that cup, more than half of the cup of the 50 milliliters. It is called filling one's cheeks. One actually has to fill the cheek uh, with the wine, so it's really more than a big mouthful of wine that is drunk, and uh, preferably all at once, not just sipping here and sipping there. And that is the way that the one-making kiddush should do it. It is then okay to add to that wine and to distribute it to others. And everybody else standing around um, then can participate, can partake of the kiddush that the person making kiddush has said. Immediately one has made kiddush, one is obligated in a meal. We say, uh, the Jewish law says that ein kiddush ela b'makum suda, kiddush is only made in a place where there is a meal. One needs to eat something immediately. And we can only eat something immediately if we have gone and washed our hands. So we go off and we wash our hands in the tilat yadayim. We pour the water three times on the right hand, three times on the left hand. We make sure that both hands are properly covered with that water. We then dry them. We have made the bracha, the blessing, al-natilat yadayim. We then are not allowed to talk, um, no distractions in between, because immediately we need to get back to the table and make hamotzi. And now here again, there are many traditions of the making of hamotzi. On our table, we should have two chalot, two what were known um, in the old days here as kitkas, two chalas, two bread loaves. And, of course, those speak to the idea that on a Friday people collected a double portion of manna in the desert. The mon was collected on a Friday, one amount for uh, um, for Friday and one amount for Shabbat. And, therefore, the two loaves are placed on the table. They are on top of the table or on top of the tablecloth on top of a board with a cloth over it. And this one, again, is reminiscent of the manna in the desert which fell on a layer of dew with another layer of dew on top of it and this is what we're doing in addition to the fact that we have just made kiddush we have sanctified the Shabbat over the wine and we don't in any way want to belittle the bread which is also actually okay to make kiddush on in the absence of wine and so therefore there are a number of reasons why it is covered but we come back to the table uncover the bread and then proceed to make hamotzi to eat bread and bread has to be eaten in a sizable amount as well. But we'll explain that right after this. Get back to basics with Judaism 101 with Rabbi Michael Katz. So once we have made hamotzi, or once we are making hamotzi, we need to know that the bracha over the bread is said once we are holding the bread in our hands. So the person making hamotzi makes the blessing holding the two halot. He should make a mark on the challah, on one challah where he's going to cut, so that's not a uh, delay afterwards in deciding which challah is going to be cut, where it's going to be cut, and so on. You make a little mark uh, with a knife and then say the bracha and cut the challah. There are different traditions and different ideas about which challah should be cut, the top one, the bottom one, the side one, the right one, the left one, and so on. We're not going to go into that right now, but um, we do make a little cut, we then open up the challah, there are several people who break the challah, like to break it according to the ridges kind of that are created by the plaiting of the challah Um, you can do either or many people say that the cutting is actually a very important part of the process and therefore we cut sizable pieces it shouldn't be a time um, on Friday night or on a Shabbat where one is um, worried about the calories and so on because the eating of a sizable piece of challah is regarded as a tribute to Shabbat it is a way of honoring Shabbat as well 
and ensuring that this festive meal, this feast that we are having for Shabbat is befitting, is correct, is right. It shouldn't be something that uh, we are sending out a message that we don't really want to do, that we don't really want to be involved in, that we're not quite sure whether we are going to put on weight by eating this little piece of challah and so on. We should really sit down to a sumptuous meal, to something really, really good uh, when it comes to our Friday night and our Shabbat uh, meals per se. There's something else that is important and um, just in the thought process of the Shabbat meal is that we should stay at the table. We should stay at the Shabbat meal and sit there. Many people sing songs. You sing Zmirot, um, say Divrei Torah, the words of Torah are shared. Um, Whatever the conversation (coughs) that is appropriate for Shabbat, of course, that is said there, one should not only participate, but one needs to stay at the table. The idea of Getting up, going, having a little lie down or a walk around in the garden and so on. Yes, of course, if you need some fresh air. Yes, of course, if you need to stretch your legs or whatever the case may be. Um, nobody is uh, really gluing you to the chair and making you stay there. But there should not be a disrespect to the Shabbat table or to the atmosphere in the home. Where here we have got together at a grand banquet, at a grand dinner to honor the Shabbat queen, to honor the Almighty himself, to honor the creation of the world. And um, we are kind of in our mind's eye um, showing our boredom, uh, showing that um, we'd rather actually be somewhere else, showing that we wished we wouldn't be uh, sitting here, showing that there's something far better to do, whether it's running outside, whether it's uh, kicking a ball, doing something else, uh, reading a book, lying down on the couch, doing whatever it is that uh, we feel is more important. There should be the idea of staying at the at the table, and the idea of staying at the table should be for the full duration of the meal. It shouldn't just be for the next few minutes or when you feel like leaving. And unfortunately, something that has crept in, I've mentioned this before, I guess even on air, that's something that has crept in which is uh, really not that becoming of um, our people, is uh, that people leave the uh, a simcha, they leave an event and they leave the Shabbat table without having said the birkat hamazon, the benching, not allowing the grace after meals to take place. One should actually stay for the duration of all of that. And in this way, we are giving the right, correct respect and honor to the Shabbat table. Be back with you to sum up right after this. Get back to basics with Judaism 101 with Rabbi Michael Katz. Perhaps the real watchword that we're trying to communicate about Shabbat is the idea of respect. Respect the Shabbat. Respect the Shabbat table. Respect the Kiddush. Um, when people are saying Kiddush or singing Shalom Aleichem or uh, the Eshet Chayil, the various different prayers that are said at the beginning, either participate, sing along or remain silent. Don't distract yourself. Don't be distracted and don't distract others and uh, kind of take the focus off what we're actually doing there. This is something that is alive. It is something that is beautiful. It's something that is powerful and it is heralding the arrival of the royalty of Shabbat. Let's Try and get that respect dimension correct. Remember that the respect that you and I, all of us, will show for Shabbat, we are promised is visited upon us in the future by the Almighty, by God, who promises us that in the same way as we have lit um, Shabbat candles, we've kept Shabbat, Hashem will make sure that He will respect and reward us um, with uh, great rewards in the future, um, with things of uh, peace and uh, the coming of Mashiach and all those wonderful things. Let's make sure that we also set the right kind of 
tone and example for our children to follow. Remember, as we said before, they imitate, they emulate you. They will know exactly when you're sincerely into something and when you're not. Let's make sure that we set that kind of correct and beautiful example for them to follow. One of respectfulness, one of respect, one of um, a, an adherence to the right and the correct things that we should be doing when it comes to a Friday night and a Shabbat meal. I want to wish you, wish you a great rest of the week, a great Shabbat up ahead. I look forward to being back with you same time, same place next week on Judaism 101.9.